open up with verse 25. And please pray with me. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we desire to hear your voice. Send forth your spirit and make us alive to it and it in turn alive to us. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Paul continues, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's been a while uh, since these events transpired, but uh, there came a time when the church I'd been serving in Atlanta thought that it was a good idea for me to go on sabbatical and get some uh, deep rest. And that happily coincided uh, with a transition in my son's life as he was moving uh, from Athens, Georgia with his wife to go to graduate school. And so we were able to time things so that we could fulfill one of my uh, desires, which was to spend a week backpacking with him in the Great Smoky Mountain National uh, Park. And it was a lot of fun to plan the trip, to, to gear up, uh, to get in condition, because uh, my day job doesn't usually involve carrying 70 pounds on my back, and I needed to toughen up a little bit. And uh, planning uh, the trip. You can't go there and backpack without a backcountry permit, and you have to ask uh, for reservations for each of the campsites you want to be. And so I, I planned the trip, and the last leg I planned uh, to go the furthest and to have the greatest rise in elevation, 11, 12 miles, something like that, and we gained about uh, 2,000 feet to end at Kligman's Dome, which is the highest uh, elevation in park. And uh, we uh, arrived up at Klingman's Dome, and the Park Service has built this, uh, well, very functional, it's not beautiful, but functional uh, concrete structure, which raises you up above the tree line and allows you to have a 360-degree look. Now, I've been there many times, and most of the times, it's just clouded over. You can see virtually nothing. But it was a beautiful clear sky day 
And though neither of us had shaved in a week, and we smelled wretched, <laughs> we went up and, and mingled among the many people who were gathered up there, and they kept a respectful uh, distance. We even talked one into taking a picture of us, uh, and as we were just uh, covered uh, in perspiration that, that summer day. Uh, but it's the joy of hiking is to reach the summit and to get that view. And that's where we are in this letter. We are at the summit of the theological argument here. And uh, Paul has been uh, arguing here, uh, making the case for uh, two contrasting ways to relate to God. One is based on faith and the other is based on human effort or uh, works. And Paul claims that faith in Christ brings salvation, life, joy, and personal transformation, and ultimately it will come with cosmic transformation. And that human effort directed at law-keeping was never God's plan. It was never his intention uh, to grant these gifts. Instead, the law was given, Paul has said, uh, to reveal our true uh, condition, uh, the true condition of all human beings. And there are two phrases that he uses uh, in verse 22 of this chapter uh, that especially capture this, under sin and under uh, law. Now, we're all under sin, and it's a bit like working underneath your car and the jack collapses and you are pinned and helpless. To be under sin is to be powerless, uh, to free yourself uh, or to change. You're trapped and you lack the ability to get out from underneath sin. And sin affects every part of who you and I are. Being under the law is like a neighbor coming and noticing your predicament. And he comments, hey, you've got quite a problem there. <laughs> He does nothing to assist you, but he does dial 911 and stands by to wait uh, until help arrives. And so it is that Paul tells us that the law uh, reveals sin, it aggravates sin, it actually makes it uh, worse, uh, it provokes sin in us and points to the salvation that we need. It does so until the rescue comes. Now with the coming of Jesus, the rescue has arrived. The car will be lifted uh, off our chests, and we will be taken uh, to the hospital to recover. Now, Paul's saying, uh, with the coming of Jesus, uh, we have reached the climax of everything that he said so far. Uh, the climax of the gospel, as Paul speaks of our sonship. It is now by faith... Uh, now that faith has come, that Jesus has come, that we are all sons of God through faith. Sinclair Ferguson was uh, one of my instructors. He's written a wonderful uh, book called uh, Children of the Living God. It's a very practical uh, book. And actually, until really the 1980s, 90s, there was almost nothing that had been written in 100 years about sonship and adoption had really been neglected. And he writes uh, just this a couple of sentences. The notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. 
Jay Packer, uh, who is one of my spiritual mentors and heroes, writes this in uh, his classic work, Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he really doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. Now, it is hard uh, to overstate uh, the practical importance of this. Uh, It is possible uh, to uh, actually be a Christian and to live with the mindset of a slave and not the mindset of a son. A slave's way of relating to God instead of a son's way of relating uh, to God. And it works itself out in a multitude of ways. Uh, And it's rooted in our identity and how we actually see ourselves. Uh, And sons have joy and slaves are weighed down and burdened. Now if we want to understand who a Christian is and why a Christian is such a privilege, we need to understand this privilege of adoption. And I'm going to touch on some of the main points that Paul makes uh, here um, and show you something of what it means in our uh, ordinary daily experience to live uh, this out. Paul writes in verse uh, 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Because Jesus is the promised seed uh, who receives all the blessings promised to Abraham. Then if we belong to Jesus through faith, then we become heirs of everything that was promised to Abraham. And just as an aside, that's why the whole Old Testament is our story. It's not just a Jewish story, a Hebrew story. It's our story. These are our stories, and it's full of such riches uh, for us. So how is it that we get our inheritance? Well, they come to us through Jesus Christ when we're adopted by his Father and become legally children of God. And so it is when we trust in Christ, we receive everything that he's done for us. And at the same time, we receive both a new identity and a new status. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that we become God's children. And we experience this in our uh, lives, verses 6 and 7. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So being adopted is at the center, it's at the core of what it means to be a Christian. And we are already sons 
if we are Christians. It's not something you work toward. It's not an aspiration. It's not something that you hope someday uh, to enjoy or possess. No, it's a present reality. And so we enjoy all the privileges and the obligations as well as the inheritance and rights of the children of God. Now, this sonship is not a universal experience. It's not something that all people have. Now, it's true that Paul alludes uh, to a, a kind of sonship that all humans share when he is preaching the gospel in Athens. But that's something different. It's a much deeper kind of relationship with God that's in view here. This sonship is experienced only uh, through faith. It is a gift of grace. And we're only uh, sons of God when we're related uh, to God through Jesus Christ. It's through faith that God adopts us. Now, some people are offended that Paul uses sons instead of sons and daughters here to refer to all Christians. In fact, they often charge uh, Paul with being patriarchal or in diminishing the value of women. But I want to ask you to listen closely. If we're too quick to correct the language here in the Bible, we'll miss out on the radical egalitarianism of what Paul has actually written. See, in Paul's world, daughters were not legally heirs. Only sons could be. But the gospel announces that all are sons. We are all heirs, male and female. And likewise, the Bible says we are all a part of the bride of Christ. Men are a part of the son's bride. Both of these aren't really so much about gender as they are about a unique gift of relationship that we have with God. And so if we don't let uh, Paul call Christian women sons of God, we really miss out how radical and wonderful this claim is. How does faith result in our uh, being treated as the sons of God and enjoying this status? Well, look closely at verses 26 and 27. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on to Christ. Now it would be easy to pass over those uh, words in a blur. And Paul uses four prepositional phrases that are different ways of portraying the same reality. In Christ, putting on Christ, being clothed with Christ, and baptized into Christ are all the same thing. They all speak of our union with Christ, of this intimate relationship uh, that we uh, have with him. And Paul loves this image of putting on uh, Christ, being clothed uh, with Christ. He, he uses uh, this, and it's really more than a, a metaphor. And here we have one of his most daring uses of it. He likens Christ to a garment. Donald Guthrie's a well-known New Testament scholar, and, and he says this better than I could. This expression conveys the striking closeness 
that exists between Christ and the believer. Those who put Christ on can do nothing other than act in accordance with the spirit of Christ. The metaphor uh, conveys essentially a new kind of life. Everything now is to be related to Christ. And if we put on Christ as a garment, it implies several things. One, it implies that our primary identity is Christ. Now think of it this way. Our clothing tells people who we are. Doctors with their white coats, nurses in their scrubs, pilots, uh, police officers, soldiers, they all have their distinctive uniforms. And our clothing tells people our gender, our social class, our nationality. But to say that Christ is our clothing is to say our ultimate identity is Christ. And not in what we do, not in our class or race or nationality. We'll look more at this next week. But this is really hard for us. This is not easily grasped uh, that we are more than these things we normally think of as the way we identify with people. Our fundamental identity is that we are the sons of God. And this implies the closeness of our relationship with Christ. Just think about your clothes. They are closer to you than anything else. Even those of you who are sitting right next to somebody, your clothes are between you and that uh, person. They're closer to you than any other possession that you have. You rely on them for shelter. Because I trust none of you go outside without them on. (laughs) And they go with you everywhere. And that means that in our relationship uh, with God, we are uh, to be conscious of Christ's presence with us every moment. Every moment as we move through those challenging uh, moments uh, that we have, often those challenging moments uh, come from two-legged creatures. Uh, But sometimes it's the circumstances uh, that we have Um, I've been battling with my new cell phone, trying to get it uh, to do just the basic things I want it to do, which is receive phone calls (laughs) and be able to make phone calls and uh, check the Internet when I'm away from the house. And, uh, you know, it's a test on whether I'm really going to rely on Christ in those uh, moments when just the frustration with technology uh, rises up in me. Well, that's a trivial example, but there are many circumstances in our lives that really uh, become a moment when we need uh, to be conscious of the closeness of our relationship to Christ. Another implication is, is that we act the part, that we imitate Christ. We continually act as if we were not only in the physical presence of Jesus, but that we take Jesus into every area of our lives by putting on his virtues. Paul says this in Colossians 3 when he says, put on uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness. You're to dress up like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying there. C.S. Lewis famously uh, said that uh, one of the principal parts of growing up as a Christian is to, well, to play act that you are in fact Christ. You pretend 
to be compassionate, and it's in the pretending that actually the Spirit meets you, and in time this uh, quality, this virtue uh, grows uh, in us. And of course, I often find myself, and perhaps you do too, when I'm in a challenging relationship, I say, Lord, I just don't love this person the way you do. Would you please come and love this person uh, through me? Uh, Lord, I don't have it within me uh, to treat this person with kindness or compassion or tenderness. I, I, I want to respond to them in a way that doesn't uh, look like that. And so we're to dress up like Jesus. And our acceptance before God also is involved in and implied by our being clothed uh, with Christ. Because Christ covers our moral, spiritual nakedness. To say Christ is our clothing is to say that God sees Jesus and his righteousness, all his obedience when he looks at us. This goes beyond having the gift of Christ's righteousness given to us, a righteousness that's not our own. This is to be loved as he is loved by the Father. This is part of why Paul so vigorously opposes the teaching that Christians need to add keeping the law to receive or enjoy acceptance from God. If you are clothed with Christ, you could not be more loved. There is nothing you can do uh, to move God to love you anymore if you are loved by Christ. And also it's true that there's nothing that you can do to lose that love. That love's secure. Now it takes a lifetime to actually, well, fully explore and to make uh, these implications your own. And many who genuinely have Christian faith actually end up living as if they're slaves and not sons. You can see this in, a, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I mean that an heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date's set. By his father. Now, Paul's giving us here another example of our sonship. And he uses this illustration of a young child who's the heir to great uh, wealth and land. And when the child is a minor, he's really no different uh, than a servant or a slave uh, in the household, even though he owns everything. He's subject uh, uh, to, well, limitations. Uh, to guardians, uh, to the household manager in the first century, uh, to keep him from wasting his inheritance. In 1999, something uh, like this uh, happened uh, when the Duke and Duchess of Northumberland uh, chose to block their son from in the inheritance of his fortune that he was to receive when he was 18 years old. Um, they determined that when he was 14, <laughs> that it was not in his best interest to have access to the equivalent of a half a million uh, dollars uh, in, as his annual allowance uh, and whatever else uh, he was uh, to receive. Uh, many, many uh, uh, British noblemen had squandered their fortunes, and so they set up a trust. And he couldn't uh, touch the money until he was 25 as a result. Well, that's exactly what Paul is driving at uh, here. 
And it, and it helps us understand our sonship and can be applied in three ways to us. The first is in the big story of the Bible, Moses' era was the one that promised the spiritual liberty of being God's people. I will be your God and you will be my people. But actually, for the most part, they didn't experience the intimacy and freedom because of the reality of forgiveness was vague to them. As the writer of Hebrews says, the law constantly reminded them of sin. Second, this is a picture of all human beings. In verse 3, Paul says, In the same way also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We'll look at this more uh, next time. But it means that all people have a sense of obligation uh, or that they're under some law to something outside of themselves, even if they've never heard a word of the scriptures or never been told about the Ten uh, Commandments. And so uh, we are, uh, apart from grace, anxious and burdened. And God, or the divine, or whatever a person might conceive that to be, seems very remote and distant, not close and intimate. And at a third level, it's a picture of how Christians may fail to one degree or another to experience the freedom and joy found in Christ. Uh, Paul says this more explicitly in chapters uh, 5 and 4. In chapter 5 he begins this way, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's possible in other words to be a Christian and yet be under the yoke of uh, slavery. And in uh, chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, he says, Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless and elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more, he asked? So we can be legally sons and yet fail to experience all this means. And we can go back to relating to God through our record of obedience and our performance. And actually it's hard not to do that because that's actually how most of life works. Try to show up late to work and plead that you're a child of God. It will not work very long with your supervisor. Uh, do that in the classroom and say, well, yes, I neglected this assignment. No, I'm not prepared for that test. Uh, can I take the test a couple of weeks from now? And say, well, this is the grace of God, isn't it? And no, that's not how it works between a child and a, and a student. And so it's hard for us to actually grasp that our relationship with God doesn't work like all these other relationships. And so it is that the work of the Holy Spirit causes us to experience our adoption. And his work is different than the work of Jesus. Jesus secured through his life and death our redemption. He paid the price to bring us out of our powerlessness due to our sin and our bad record. The Son brings us into an objective legal status whether we feel it or not. If you're in Christ, you are a son. It doesn't matter whether you feel like a son or not. It's, tr it's true. 
That's what the gospel says. But it is the Spirit who brings uh, into our life this a subjective experience. And that's what Paul's driving at in verses 6 and 7 uh, when, when he uh, writes, And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, first of all, the Spirit leads us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, the word crying here is a very, very strong word. It involves a deep, passionate feeling. And it means that we are relationally, emotionally oriented and attached toward God. The child of God uh, knows this. He knows it because the Spirit is the one who reveals this uh, to us. And secondly, this crying refers to our prayer lives. Christians spontaneously uh, talk to God their Father, uh, just as children do to their parents. Prayer's not mechanical. Uh, it's not a formula uh, for a Christian, but it's filled with warmth and passion and the freedom uh, to be honest emotionally and to express our requests. Uh, prayer becomes an intimate encounter. It's not an anxious show where you're concerned that you have the right words, that you've uh, spoken in, with theological exactness or something uh, like that. It's not that at all. You don't come to prayer as a child of God uh, anxious uh, uh, and afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing. And thirdly, this crying means and includes the real presence of God. We're not speaking to an empty uh, room uh, where our words just bounce off uh, the ceiling. We experience the nearness of God and often have the sense that we've actually been heard. The sense that God has heard our prayer and our crying out and we can let it go. We can say, you've heard me. I came to Christ through a crisis that uh, in part developed because a romantic relationship came to an end and it was extraordinarily painful uh, for me. It drove me into the depths of despair and set me on a quest to see what was worth living for because this young woman had become uh, the very, uh, my very reason for living. About four years later, uh, I was engaged and uh, my uh, my bride-to-be ended the relationship, and it crushed me. But I sensed I wasn't alone. Uh, not in the way I was before. Before, I was radically alone. But I had Christ in my life. And I, I know even in those dark moments of life, I'm not truly alone. And sometimes I've been granted by the Spirit just a conscious awareness of the presence of God in those moments, and sometimes not. But nonetheless, the truth remains. And having tasted that many times, even if I can't sense it at the moment, I know it to be true that I'm not alone. And the day will come when once again the Father will not hide his face from me. Just two more implications. We cry, Abba, Father. And Abba is a word that's really, well, it's very difficult to translate. 
Daddy's probably a little too informal. Papa might come close to it. It's a word of both affection and respect. In equal parts, not one more than the other. And there's a confidence in crying, Abba, Father. Because the, the child who cries, Abba, Father, expects and knows there will be a warm uh, uh, welcome. There's a love, uh, an assurance that the parent will receive them, that there are open arms to welcome them, even when they fail, even when they mess up, uh, even they're, when they're very uh, confused, even when they're afraid. And fifth, we're heirs. God has a wonderful uh, plan ahead of us. Because we're heirs, God has something wonderful for us beyond this life, but even in this life. And so we can face this life with confidence, and we can also face death with utter confidence. Just how can you enter into this experience? Well, you first have to become a Christian. Don't assume that you're a Christian, especially if you've grown up in a Christian household. You've always come to church. You shouldn't just assume, well, I'm a Christian because, well, my parents bring me uh, to church. No, you need to be clothed with Christ. This means you need to give up all your efforts at securing a relationship with God, his approval and acceptance through your own efforts. You need to really see that your own efforts to achieve the favor of God are, are, are going to fail you. And you need to come and commit yourself in trust utterly uh, because of what Christ has done in his living and in his dying and being raised uh, from the dead on your behalf. It's on that basis that you come uh, to God the Father and you say to him, Lord, I need you in my life and I surrender the control of my life to you. I give up control of my uh, life. And I come uh, to you now. Come to me and take me as your own. It's such a simple prayer. It's what the Bible means that he who calls on uh, the Lord will be saved. It's just calling on the Lord. And then, well, you need to meditate on the words of your father, especially the words of his son. A small child longs to be with their father. They're just drawn to them. Now, so many boys and girls long for time with their uh, fathers when they come home uh, from work. And at least for a while, most dads get a hero's welcome when they walk in uh, the door. And so as you read the scriptures, ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart and mind to hear afresh each day what your father is saying so that you can apprehend and taste and see the spiritual realities that are written about there. It happened again. Hardly a month goes by and I, I wake up remembering a dream in which I've uh, been with my father and my mother and my brother. My mother and brother uh, died in 2012, and my father died uh, 11 years before that. 
And you could say, well, you're just processing uh, your grief. But I would say, I still miss them. I especially miss my dad. If you're a child of God, you have your father always. And you can hear his voice as you prayerfully open the scriptures. Let's pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, make these words of life alive to us. Enable us uh, by grace uh, to walk out more and more this. Help each one who's heard these words here and those who are uh, listening online uh, to see and receive what you're saying to them, to see what it looks like for them to take one step deeper uh, into the just rich privilege of being a, a son of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.